you've got your Bibles, I, and if, if it's not already there, turn, to, turn with me to the, to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we are going to continue our series on entitled Enfleshment. This is our third, um, third series, our third uh, sermon on the, on the series. Enfleshment simply means incarnation or God becoming a man. Um, John chapter 1 verse 1 says uh, the Word was God. And then John 1.14 simply says the Word became flesh. And that's the story of Christmas in a nutshell. And we've been looking at different portions of Scripture. A couple of weeks ago we, we were looking in Philippians and we looked at Paul's insight on the nature of the Incarnation. Fully God, yet Jesus is putting on the garments of humanity. And then last week we looked at um, Luke chapter 4, where Jesus comes back to his hometown. And, uh, and it's obvious from the people there that they see him as fully human. He, he's the, he's, the, he's the, the kid who grew up there. And yet we see from his works and his mission, uh, he's obviously God. And this week and next, we want to look at the Gospel of Luke, the first couple of chapters. I had Kathy read from Luke chapter 2 this morning. That's not going to be our text. Uh, I want to dive into the very last passage she read, where she said in verse 21, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And in verse 21 of chapter 2, our, our author Luke is actually referring to something that happened nine months earlier. And so for us to grapple with Luke chapter 2, that's where we're going to land next week. I think it's good for us to, almost like those movies where you, 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 you kind of go back nine months and they kind of give you the fill-in. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to go back to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 26. And I want to read those words as well. Luke 1, 26 and following. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. 
Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let, let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. God, I pray that you would be our teacher this morning. I pray that you'd help us to grapple with um, the, the, the story of Christmas. But Lord, not just uh, be kind of wowed and, and almost... Um, Lord, help us to see it anew, I guess. Help us to, to grapple with the, the reality of God becoming a man. and Help us to grapple with how crazy the story is and yet um, how great you are. And I just ask that you speak to us this morning. Change us. Shape us. In your name I pray. Amen. Isn't this a crazy story? Now, probably most in this room have heard the story so many times, it's just kind of like, like, you don't really even give it a second thought. But if you had never heard this before, wouldn't you go, this is, this is, this is absurd, this is a myth, this is silly? A virgin gives birth? An angel speaks to, to her beforehand. Here's what you're supposed to call, and this is what he's going to do. It's actually, he's going to be holy and called the Son of God. Like, this is, this is the stuff myths are made out of. And, and several people have looked at this particular passage and said, it is a myth. It's actually based upon the ancient myths of the past. The problem with that is uh, when you compare this story with ancient stories of where gods had sex with females, uh, they're radically different than this story. Some have suggested that what happens here is actually many centuries later, the church inserted these ideas and words into the text. And so they actually weren't here when Luke was writing them, but they were inserted. The problem with that is if you were going to insert something into the story, you would have put something in that was believable and that would have caused less problems for the church. The Jews and the pagans actually mocked the church and mocked our God and our Lord, for they called them Ill illegitimate rather than born of a virgin. Well, the reality is, uh, if we believe in a God that created the earth out of nothing, then this is not a problem. But if we have no room for such a God, then this is a problem. Luke is an individual who actually went out of his way to, to write down an orderly account. He went to people. He asked uh, what they saw, what they heard. Uh, he wrote down what the eyewitnesses had stated. It's very possible he actually sat down with Mary. He seems to have insights that would suggest that. So we're just going to take it at face value and go, okay, this is the God we serve. This is the God that's represented. Let's read it for what it is, and let's wrestle with it. As we walk through this, uh, 
I, I, I hope that we look at a couple of things. First, I want us to notice Mary. Mary. It would seem that this Mary is of little significance, at least from the perspective of the world. Uh, she's looks like she's very poor from this account, from chapter 2, um, from what we read in Matthew. But she's from Nazareth, a place that is, is kind of a, a, a pimple on the prairie. Some suggest that the reason they actually insert, that Luke actually inserts a city of Galilee named Nazareth is because most people reading this would have never heard of Nazareth, and so they might have heard of Galilee. She's lowly. It's fascinating because the story before that is about the, the birth announcement of John the Baptist, which is also a, a supernatural story, but it's very, rather different. John the Baptist's announcement actually happens in a, an important city called Jerusalem, and it happens in the temple. Somebody's cutting their lawn out there. This one's different. The angel comes to a woman privately uh, in a place where, oh my goodness, uh, unheard of. It seems like an odd way to announce that the Son of God is being born. Let's carry on. Let's carry on as we're thinking of this Mary. We're told that she's a virgin. First off, in verse 27, it literally uses the word in... um, In verse 34, when Mary says, How will this be since I am a virgin? Some of your translations will say, "Uh, How will this be for I have not even known a man? That's the the basic literal translation that I haven't even slept with a man yet. How can this be? How can this be? The story sounds in a lot of ways like, like the story of Sarah only more supernatural, but in Genesis chapter 16, God announces to Abram that he will um, have, have a child. Six, Genesis 16 verse 11 says, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. Oh, sorry, this is Ishmael, because the Lord was listened to your affliction. There's a similarity, but there's also a similarity when, when, when he, he, he uh, announces that Isaac will be born to, to Sarah. Throughout the scriptures, there's these supernatural stories of children that are born. But they're significant children that were born. So you have a promise that God gave to Abraham. This is Abraham, uh, it's your seed, your seed, the, the, all the nations will be blessed. And so the problem was Abram's very old and his wife is very old and they don't have any kids. And so how can his seed have be a blessing to the nations? And God, in a miraculous way, gives a a very old man, a very old couple, a child. God wants to make it very clear that he is on the throne and that he is doing this, and it's not the will of Abram and Sarah. Their son Isaac has a child as well, again in old age. Again, it's a miraculous birth. Isaac has to pray to God that his wife would become pregnant. She has two, of which Jacob 
is the one that the seed and the blessing was going to follow and continue. There's a story of Hannah we, as we were going through the book of Samuel. And, and she cries out to God because she, she can't have children. And, and God, in an incredible way, answers a prayer, a miraculous event. And Samuel's the one who actually uh, prophesies and tells us that David, it's, it's upon David's family and upon his throne that, that um, the Messiah will come. By the time we get to Jesus... The birth story continues to be an incredible story, a supernatural story, but this one is the most supernatural. Mary, not only is she lowly of a, an insignificant place, probably incredibly poor, but she is a virgin. And she acknowledges this. She's actually astounded and says, how can this be? This is absurd. The angel speaks to her. She's afraid. She's perplexed. She's a number of things. But God calls her favored. Did you see that? Favored. That, that, that's, that's an important word. In fact, he says it twice. Greetings, O favored one, in verse 28. And then, and then he says it again in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That's quite remarkable. Why her? Why didn't he go after Caiaphas's daughter, the high priest's daughter in, in, in Jerusalem, or, or maybe somebody important, but he went after Mary? Was it because she was something, or was it just because God was gracious? Jesus says something actually quite fascinating in Luke chapter 11 just in just in case you want wondering but there was a woman as he said these things a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed and so this woman in the crowd says your mother is incredibly blessed she's incredibly favored and and that's what the angel said what does Jesus say Jesus says to this woman in front of the entire crowd. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so not only is Mary favored and blessed, but also those who hear the word of God and keep it. If you go to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, verse 29, uh, we read uh, words such as um, that the ones who are blessed, those who believe in him, and, and him who he has sent, those are the ones who do the will or the work of God. That is the will of God. Jesus actually states that any of us who turns to Jesus in faith is favored. As we continue to contemplate Mary, I actually marvel at the very last verse here in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary responds in faith. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand what's going on. She doesn't actually grapple, like, but she just says, 
whatever you say, God, let it be. I think the reality is that speaks volumes to how we ought to. J.C. Ryle puts it simply like this. She simply rests her head on God's omnipotence. Did you hear that? She simply rests her head on God's omnipotence. She trusts Him. Let's stop and now pause and consider Jesus. Notice that the angel describes this child and and in verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. He says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. Earlier, Gabriel goes to John the Baptist's parents and says, your son will be great, but the language he uses is great before the Lord. When he speaks of Jesus, he doesn't say he'll be great before the Lord because he's going to articulate that he is the Lord. He's just going to be great. He'll be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Later he will say in verse 35, the Son of God. Now he doesn't unpack that right here, but as we walk through the Gospels and we walk through the story of Jesus, we begin to realize that this language of the Son of the Most High and the Son of God means he is God himself. The Jews will want to kill Jesus because he's considering himself equal with God. Not only will he be great, not only will he be the, the Son of the Most High, not only the Son of God, but in verse 35 we're told he will be holy. It is true that this is language that is used for the saints of God, but it is also language that is used for God. And as we begin to recognize with increasing clarity who this person is, that's none other than God himself. It's interesting. He doesn't say he will become these things. He says he'll be called these things. In other words, he will be known and acknowledged that he is the Son of God, that he is the Son of the Most High, that he is holy. And isn't that what Jesus says to his disciples? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Who is he? Who is this Jesus? He carries on. And the Lord God, in verse 32, will give to him the throne of his father David. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, some thousand years earlier, God had promised through the prophet Samuel, God had promised that, that, that David's throne would last forever. The problem was, Nobody was sitting on the throne anymore. And now an angel shows up and says, guess what? Here's the one who will sit on that throne. In verse 33, we realize and recognize that he will reign over the house of Jacob, over the people of God, not for 40 years, but forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Well, this is the language of the Daniel. In the Old Testament, there was the prophet Daniel in the midst of, he lived in a time of incredible uncertainty. Uh, he, 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 he had a, 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 
an important position in the Babylonian government. He had an important position in the, in the government of the Medes and the, uh, and the Persians. He, he had an important position in a number of different places because God had placed him there. But he was also far from his homeland, and he grieved the fact that his people were no longer in, in Palestine. And, and Daniel was given all kinds of dreams. He would interpret dreams. He had visions. And, and at one point, Gabriel actually comes to him. The same Gabriel comes to him and interprets these dreams. And, and most of those dreams are about a kingdom or kingdoms. In Daniel 2, he's, he's, uh, he's interpreting the dream of the king. And in 2, verse 44, he's talking about all the different kingdoms that are to come about, the, the, the Babylonian kingdom, and then the Medes and the Persians kingdom, and then the, the Greeks kingdom, and then the Romans kingdom. And, and he, it describes those kingdoms. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. When angel Gabriel comes to Mary in the middle of nowhere, and she's all alone, and, and, and she, he describes to her, you are going to have a child, and, and I know you're a virgin, but you're going to have this child. And then he says, and this child is going to be great. He's going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to be the son of God. He's going to be holy. He's going to be sitting on David's throne forever. He is going to have a kingdom that will last forever. Gabriel has to go in the back of his mind. He's going, man, finally I get to declare this news that I, that I, that I, that I told Daniel of some 500 years earlier. No wonder Mary was perplexed. No wonder she was troubled. Because she was probably going, what in the world's going on? What does all this mean? As she pauses. Now, as I read these words, there's an element where I'm going, okay, she had a son, but where is this eternal kingdom? And Jesus teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're to pray that this kingdom would come, and yet Jesus also teaches us that the kingdom has come. We're told in Revelation that he sits upon a throne, but we're also told that he's going to come. And we long we ought to long. As we think of Christmas, as we think of the trees, and we think of the babe in a manger, we're called to, to not only pause and look at the human or the story element, we're called to pause and wonder and, and cry out, Lord, would your kingdom come? Remember last week we talked about how Jesus came to give uh, uh, sight to the blind? We unpacked that piece. We are praying and we are crying out that God would do that and, and do that quickly. I was with my, my dad on Thursday. Just a side note. We've got an old beater of a van that needs a whole lot of work. And I didn't have the bucks to put tires on it. And so I started praying. to said, God, would you provide some tires? And I got this text from 
um, a family member who didn't know that we needed tires, hadn't seen my vehicle in a coon's age, but he probably knows me. Uh, but he sent me a picture of these tires that he was forgot to get rid of two years ago when he sold his vehicle. And lo and behold, they were the right size. <laughs> like brand new winter tires. And, and so I had to go down and pick them up. And uh, God is good and gracious and he provides in amazing ways. But it, even even more exciting, I got to hang out with my dad that day for about five hours. And my dad is this place in life. He's just like, the Lord's got to be coming back. Got to be coming back. He just longs for it. I, you know, first I would go, Dad, come on, everybody's been saying that. It might be, it might be another hundred years. And Dad goes, yeah, it might be, but I think he's coming back soon. <laughs> and the more he says that, the more I go, now I just go, Dad, I sure hope so. I sure hope it's soon. Too much, too much sorrow in this world. Come quickly, Jesus. But this is what Gabriel's promising. He's predicting. He's, 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 he's sharing this with a, from, from, from every human perspective, a very insignificant woman, but from God's perspective, a favored one. This is such an earthy story. This is such a human story, and yet there's such a, a, a God element, an impossible element, and that's how Mary responds in verse 34. How will this be? How can this be? This is impossible. This is absurd. She has the reaction that I think is, is legitimate and normal. And how, does the, how does the angel answer her? The angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. He doesn't actually explain how, he just explains who. He, 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 he speaks of the, overshad- the, of, of the Spirit, which is similar to what we see in the Old Testament when the Spirit of God hovers over the tabernacle. He, he, he speaks of the language of what we see in Ezekiel, the promise of the coming of the Spirit, and, and the Spirit in all throughout Ezekiel brings life. It's the language of what we find in Genesis chapter 1 when God creates the earth and the Spirit hovers over the earth and life is created out of nothing. That's what's going on here. This is, this is not some absurd God having sex with a female. This is God doing the impossible. Well, just in case, because he, he recognizes Mary as human, what does he say to Mary? He says, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, you know how she's been wanting a child for forever and she's, she's way past childbearing years and she's actually six months pregnant. It's like a sign for her to go, whoa, God did that, then God could do this. Doesn't God work that way? In my life, I don't know how many times I'm, I'm wrestling with a promise that God has very clearly made in the Scriptures, and I'm struggling to believe, and I'm struggling to believe, and then the Lord reminds me what He's done in the past. Tires. 
Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Lord. If you can provide tires when I just simply pray, then, Lord, you can do X, Y, and Z. But then he does one more thing. Verse 37. He states, for nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. This is what I was trying to allude to earlier. It's in Genesis. I think it's in chapter 18. It's the story of Sarah and Abram. And God promises them a child, and Sarah, who was advanced in years, just begins to laugh. She thinks this is absurd. This is foolish. This, how can this be? And this is the response. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer means no. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 32, very similar. We read these words, verse 17. This was at a time when, when the nation of Israel was under siege. It seems like everything had been lost. Uh, it was without hope. Times are tough. This is how Jeremiah cries out to, to God. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. And by your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Oh, you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to the children after them. Oh, great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Nothing is too hard for you. I don't know what you what you came today with. I know last night was a tough night for me. I, I Lynn says, Are you okay? And I said, I'm struggling to believe. I'm struggling to trust. I think if we're honest, we all have nights like that, seasons like that. But is there anything too hard for God? After all, He created the heavens and the earth. After all, He somehow, in some way, in a supernatural way, caused His Son to be born of a virgin. Is anything too hard for God? The answer, I think, is an obvious no. Pray for tires. He, he can provide them. Is anything too hard for God? No. This Christmas, ponder this incredible story of God becoming a man. I recognize that he does that in, in 
as he just he just literally invades and enters into the space and the life of a of a a woman, a family. And they grapple with the realities of this. And will we be like Mary who just simply says, Whatever, whatever you want to do, Lord, may your word be accomplished. Will we will we take him by faith or or will we try to try to run it our own way? Let me pray. Lord, I I um I think I've seen the story in a way that I hadn't before. I've heard it so many times. But 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 I marvel that that here's Mary all by herself uh, confronted with the Gabriel that met up with Daniel, the Gabriel who had been in your presence, with, with a message that seemed impossible and absurd and yet overwhelmingly lovely, a message that was had been promised and predicted, and yet here she was now confronted with, she was now part of the story. Lord, you and your grace showed her favor. The, the, the reality is you show each of us favor when we in turn turn to you in faith and obedience. But Lord, would you help us to turn to you in faith and obedience? Would you help us to do that as a church? Would you help us to do that as individuals? If there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you or grapples with this stuff and goes, this is crazy, but Lord, I pray that your spirit would be at work in their soul and that you would be drawing them and calling them to trust and obey you. Father, would not a heart be too hard that you cannot turn to flesh. Lord, I pray that not a situation would be too difficult that that you cannot give us strength to endure Lord, I pray that you would do the impossible as you have promised. And Lord, thank you for sending your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.